0: I remember um, my dad giving me a job when I was a kid uh, and it was kind of a pretty big responsibility. As I look back on it, my dad used to give me big responsibility jobs when I was pretty young. Uh, I think I was probably 10 or 12, somewhere about that age. When he gave me this job, it was a certain construction site where these big earth movers, they were the scrapers, those huge scrapers, uh, they were were going around up the top of this mountain scraping dirt off the top of a mountain uh, and bringing it down to a lower building site where they were building up the building pad and they were you know, bringing hundreds of thousands of yards of dirt. It was just a massive moving of dirt. So I think they had like four or five of these big scrapers just going all day long. The problem was these huge scrapers, they'd get all this load of dirt at the top of this mountain. Maybe The mountain was maybe a thousand feet tall or something. And then they'd come down this steep road The problem is those big earth movers, they they couldn't stop. I mean, once they were going on that downhill road with a load of dirt that heavy, there was no stopping those things. So my job was to make sure there was no cars. It was just a little dirt road. There was only like six or seven houses that were back on this dirt road, but my job was to stand there in case a car came and make sure and flag them down and say, don't come through here because you'll get run over by an earth mover. That was my job. And it was really kind of a tricky job because man, there was just, it was the most boring job I ever had, just sitting there. And then once every five minutes, oh, I heard the rumble and there comes, here comes. so I'd look for the car and, you know, but you know, as a 10, 12 year old kid, you know, you get distracted and start looking at petunias or whatever bugs uh, crawled by on the road or whatever. And uh, fortunately, um, fortunately, I didn't have any uh, trouble, uh, but I, I think about that. I think, what if I didn't see the car and, you know, but I was told simply this, watch. My dad gave me that job to watch and, and uh, and you know, it's something that's kind of hard. In fact, watching something that's kind of boring or seemingly boring or immoving or, or immovable or not not happening, it's really hard to watch stuff like that. I think that's one of the reasons the Christian church can tire, even though the Lord told us, watch therefore over and over again. In fact, uh, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter uh, 25. Of course, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, Uh, Jesus talking about the end times. Uh, There's obviously so much in this discourse. uh, But but one of the things about this um, is Jesus said this, and and he would say it many, many other times as well, but it's Matthew 25, verse 13. Why don't you take a look at that? It says in Matthew 25, 13, it says, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. It's interesting that Jesus would give that admonition. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. Now, um, we all read this verse and go, oh yeah, nobody knows the day or the hour. So you, it's a good thing to know. You, you, you don't try to predict when Jesus is going to come uh, because nobody knows the day or the hour. And we, That's what we walk away with this often. But it's this idea before that, watch. We're supposed to keep an eye on this. Uh, and the Bible tells us over and over to be sober, to be vigilant, you know, um, that we as a church, we're, we're supposed to know where to focus our attention. Uh, and we particularly need to know the Bible prophecies. What does the Bible say we should be looking for? What should be watching? So in that, that assignment my dad gave me, I was watching for cars coming and scrapers coming down the, the, the road and, and I had to watch or else certain peril would come. It's the same thing, Jesus saying, watch. And there's certain things you're supposed to look for. Uh, The prophecies surrounding the rapture of the church, the prophecies surrounding the second coming of Jesus. Um, Jesus was empathetic that his followers should hope for his return um, and expect and even pray for his return. Do you, as a Jesus follower, do what Jesus wanted us to do? Hope for and pray for his soon return? Uh, That's what we're supposed to do. I don't get that sense from a lot of the church in a, in a capital C, you know, the greater church. I don't get a sense that that's what a lot of people are, oh Lord, come quickly, praying for the return of Christ. But that's when all things become good. So one of the things we're supposed to watch for is His His coming and the signs of the times. You know, the rapture of the church, the signs of the times. It says you will you don't know the day or the hour, but you'll know the times and the seasons. In addition, our enthusiasm and our anticipation uh, and excitement should intensify as we see more and more world events uh, coming through Bible prophecy. That's that's one of the things. I've noticed there's a big discrepancy. There's people who kind of see it, and there's people that don't. Do you you know what I mean by that? Um, It's like anything else in life. Uh, You know, there's certain people that get it, and there's certain people that just don't get it uh, in certain things. And I found that, that there's kind of one of two kinds of Christians. There's the Christian that just really has that hope of the return of the Lord, the rapture of the church, the Lord fulfilling all his prophecies of his word. And, and there's some of us that are just really excited about that. There's a whole nother section of the church, yeah, whatever. You guys have been talking about this for years. And it's funny how there's kind of a blinded uh, sort of uh, apathy that tends to be in the church today. And, and that's one of the things I think I try to do is to, to show people, hey, check this out. This is really amazing that the Bible says this. And I, my goal and my desire is to get people to be once again excited about the second coming of Christ and, and to be looking forward to. And some people say, you're trying to scare us. Nope, They're trying to get us excited about, it is a little scary if you don't have Jesus. If you didn't have the hope of Christ, yeah, it'd be a little scary about what's going on in the world. But my opinion is the world is scary. And if you don't have Christ, just be afraid. Like there's, there's nothing good in the world that I can say, oh, I feel so much better now. That you know, Biden gave his speech that night, last night. It just makes me feel so much better. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, I, I see how, how Putin is handling the Ukrainians. It's, oh, I'm so comforted by that. Uh, or or uh, that Israel, uh, you know, is bombing uh, Iran. Oh, that makes me so happy. No, but, but when I see that those are pieces of the puzzle, that the Lord says, this is my plan. This is my purpose then I suddenly have this great hope and I see with anticipation, it makes me wanna watch all the more. So note, watching, waiting, anticipation, preparedness. In fact, it's Luke chapter 12, where Jesus says similar things. It's Luke 12, 35 through 37. It says, now now get the sense of the anticipation and kind of, you got work to do, you should be busy doing this. It says, let your loins be girded uh, about and your lights burning and yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed or happy are those, uh, those servants whom the Lord, when he uh, cometh, shall find watching. Those of us that say it's time to keep our eyes open and watch, Uh, and wait and be vigilant and be sober. Uh, One of the things that we get to do is uh, do that. And then the Lord promises with that a blessing. Blessed are those, happy are the servants, whom when the Lord comes shall find watching. So uh, I found that to be true. Um, when I study Bible prophecy, when I get to do these prophecy updates, um, I find real joy in my heart because of knowing that the Lord is coming and I have an anticipation of something really good. Remember when you were a little kid and you had something that you were so excited about, looking forward to? Uh, you know, I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, I got to sometimes in the summertime, go down and visit my grandparents in Southern California. And oh, I, I, I remember the last two months of school were just torture as I would sit in that classroom and know that, man, in a few months, I'm going to Southern California. I get to ride my skateboard around Southern California, get to go to the beach and get to go to Disneyland. Oh, and I was just so excited as a kid, you know? Do you remember being excited about stuff like that when you're a kid? I mean, like, no, my childhood was really sad. And, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I know, I, I grew up in sort of a fantasy world. but. Uh, thank the Lord for that, but, uh, but no, uh, the Bible, Jesus said, blessed are those servants who when the Lord comes shall find watching. We're anticipating, we're watching. Uh, also, Jesus sums it up in Luke 21. In Luke 21, 36, it says, watch ye therefore. Now, that's, there it is again, he's saying over and over. I'm just giving you a few, there's, there's tons of these, Jesus says, watch ye therefore. And, and then also, what else do we do? Pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the son of man. Again, I like to talk about this verse when the anti-rapture people, oh, the rapture is not in the Bible. You're just hoping you escape all these uh, horrible things that are gonna happen in the world. Or, you know, the post tribers say, you just wanna, you're an escapist, Brett. You're just trying to escape. You're, we have to go through the tribulation and you're just trying to escape. And I would say, yes, I am. Uh, Luke 21, 36, pray that that you're counted worthy to escape all these things. And the context of Luke 21, by the way, is the end times, the tribulation period, all that stuff. Um, Now, by the way, uh, how are you going to be worthy in this? Um, You know, it says uh, that you may be counted worthy to escape these things. Uh, Some people make the mistake that you'll you'll be counted worthy if you watch, but that's a deed of the flesh. You're, You're watching, it's obedient to watch, but that's not what's gonna save you. That's not what's gonna get you raptured as a Christian. Um, You gotta kind of be careful about this. The only thing that will make me worthy to escape these things is my position with Christ. That's the only thing. Um, So what do we do? We trust in him as our savior. We've committed our way to him. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and we are saved by his grace through faith. That's how we'll be counted worthy to uh, be at the, at the time of the rapture to be taken up, or should the rapture not come in our lifetime, uh, that's what, what will be counted worthy to uh, go to heaven. It's, it's all about Jesus and knowing Jesus. So, so the, the question then is, what, what is it that Jesus wants us to watch? Well, that's what these prof, prophecy updates really are largely about. Um, and there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of topics that we could talk about, about the signs of the times, uh, so don't ever feel like, you know, Athey Creek when we do these prophecy updates that we're exhaustively looking at all the signs of the times. Um, my bo- toughest job on these, I had a pastor friend, good, good dude, he's starting to do prophecy updates too. But he said, as before he did his first, he said, Brad, how do you find that, like, stuff to talk about? And it's so funny because in, in my experience, like how do you narrow it down? Like, how, how do you do it once a month? Uh, you know, like seriously. And I think he's starting to sense that too. That There's just a lot in the world that we can say, wow, look at this, look at that. This is stuff that the Bible tells us about. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we're saying for sure, as I mentioned last probably, that this is gonna happen in our lifetime. But this is what we're doing. We're watching to see if it happens in our lifetime. And as it seems like to me, as I like to always say, it seems to me like things are shaping right up for the rapture, the rapture could happen tomorrow. As far as the Bible, as far as things that need to happen, I don't see anything biblically that really needs to happen for the rapture of the church to, to start. And I couldn't even, I, I may not even have been able to say that, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, but but especially today, everything's so lined up, not just the rapture, but the Gog Magog invasion for you Bible prophecy buffs that know all this stuff. Uh, that's just lining up even more this week. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, the roles of the nations, seeing the players, the chess pieces being moved around. I mean, it's amazing to see how the the, Biblical prophetic narrative is just lining up. Puzzle piece after puzzle piece is being snapped into place. Um, And so like we like to say, you know, those of us that are into prophecy, uh, the world's not falling apart. Everything's falling into place exactly as the way the Lord said it. So that's the stuff we're watching And uh, so I'm just gonna do some some a few observations uh, tonight of things that that I've been watching, stuff maybe that I'd recommend that you keep your eye on as well. Um, So let's start with a few of these. First, I wanna just kind of generally talk about trouble around the globe. Um, One of the things the Bible talks about uh, as it relates to the end times is is it's gonna be a troublesome time for the whole world. And the reason I start with that one is... um, some people, some of our preterist friends and amillennial buddies, I have friends that believe very different prophetic or you know, eschatological views about the end times. The preterists and the amillennialists, they take this interesting thing where everything's figurative or, or, you know, everything in Bible prophecy happened in AD 70 when Jerusalem was crushed by the Romans and Titus and all that stuff. And there's a whole group of people, smart people. Some of the smartest people I know, I gotta say, are amillennialists or preterists. Um, But here's the problem. If you take an honest look at Bible prophecy as as it relates to all the scriptures, not just your favorite scriptures, but all of them, um, you get a definite sense that much of Bible prophecy is talking about the global uh, situation. There's gonna be global things. You know, for example, uh, just do an honest read of Matthew 24. And, you know, those preterists or uh, many of the Amelinists will say, see, that happened all in AD 70 when Jerusalem, and they're, they're locating it to just that little tiny city in AD 70 of Jerusalem. But if you read Matthew 24, it's not just a city, it's global, all the world's gonna be affected. The whole sun will be darkened and the moon's gonna turn to blood and the world's gonna see events, uh, the world, the whole world. In fact, um, you know, the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, one of the things that was kind of interesting Um, when, you know, during sort of like that Vietnam era and later we started watching things on our TV in almost real time. I remember, what was it? Was it Mogadishu, Somalia? I think we had a thing where, that was one of the first times we were in real time with a guy with a camera running on the beaches and we were watching battle happen in real time, live stream. Um, and, that, and I remember thinking, wow, we're, we're just, we're, and, and as a Bible prophecy buff, the Bible talks about the two witnesses, how the whole world would see them killed and their bodies laying in the streets of Jerusalem and all the world would wonder at their deaths. And then there'd be like Christmas. Remember they give gifts because the two guys are dead and Merry Christmas, the, de- the witnesses are dead, you know, ding dong or whatever. And, um, and then three days later, we're back, remember the witnesses, they're coming back. And the whole world's gonna see that, live streaming in their, you know, uh, on their iPhones, on their, you know, TVs or whatever. And, you know, now we kind of laugh at that because we live stream just about everything. You know, you're, you're live streaming your trip to church, you know, on the way here, you know, on your Facebook and stuff, live streaming is nothing new. But, you know, that, that's not even that long ago before we had that technology. But, um, but one of the things is you, you start to realize, wow, the Bible is talking about the whole earth and the globe. When it talks about Bible prophecy, most of it's dealing globally, not just the city of Jerusalem. It's true, by the way, that Jerusalem is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. Don't, don't get, get me wrong on that one. But the prophecies in the Bible are very much Global And that's important. So trouble around the globe is something we kind of notice. And the world is troubled. And we'll talk more about that. You know, it reminds me of 2 Timothy 3.1 where Paul said, you know, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Or as your King James, you know, perilous times will come. And, uh, and we're watching that. Uh, we're watching around the world the perilous times that are coming. And we've, we've got I- issues, that, you know, we've talked about even in previous uh, Prophecy updates, uh, famine is becoming something that people are very nervous about in this, this coming winter, particularly. And we're not even going to really touch on that. But Brent, what about the burning, you know, food uh, centers and all that stuff? Have you guys been following that? It's an interesting thing because there's a bunch of people saying, ah, there's, you know, thousands of, 50,000 food plants burn down every year anyway. And they're trying to act like it's no big deal. But I, I have been sort of doing the research and finding out all these food plants that are burning down and it's kind of amazing. Just in 2022, more than 100 food processing plants have been burned down. Um, and these are separate news ar- uh, articles that are local news stories about these plants that are burning down. What's going on there? I don't know. Some people think it's a conspiracy theory. I don't know. But, um, but at the same time, while they're saying, nothing to see here, nothing to see here, we don't have baby formula and other things. Uh, man, Tad and I, uh, we were at a restaurant the other day. I know that's a big shock. Um, <laughs> And uh, we, it's this teriyaki joint we really like. And, um, and, uh, and we got the, we were looking for the sriracha, right? And everybody was kind of getting agitated in the, in the restaurant because this teriyaki place, it's great as long as you put the sriracha on there. Um, problem is, there's no sriracha anymore. So now it's baby, I was like, sriracha's gone? Well, that's the end times. So we're in living in the last days. <laughs> uh, uh, but it is funny how there's just stuff you can't get right now. Um, and food that's becoming harder and harder to find and supplies and what have you. That's a very real thing um, that's happening. And they're they're saying, hey, nothing to see here. Uh, You know, don't worry about all this. But um, famine something that Jesus said would be there in the last days. So those are the kinds of things around the world. Those are times of difficulty. And I would say the world is in a difficult place right now, not just local places, the whole world. There's very few places in the world that you can say, yeah, they're just going along just perfectly, no problems at all. Very few places if you can find them. Um, So uh, by the way, the book of Revelation really dives in to how difficult things will be, Revelation six through 19 about the tribulation period. And so one of the things you and I, as people who believe if you're a pre-tribber like I am, we're seeing things ramp up only to the rapture of the church. Um, It only needs to start ramping up. It doesn't have to happen. You see, we're gonna be taken up out of here, then a time of great trouble, like Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Jesus told John there in Revelation 6 or 19, that's when it's gonna really come down hardcore. So um, one of the things that's causing more of a global stir um, that we've all been watching, you and you and I, is this whole, you know, what's Russia been doing? And how is Russia affecting the world? Because this Russia-Ukraine war um, has affected the world perhaps more profoundly than we even imagined. Um, you know, there, there, and, and the Bible does seem to uh, put Russia at, uh, at a, a, a real high point of effectiveness in their, uh, their dastardly deeds uh, during the last days, the, whether it's the Gog Magog invasion or even otherwise. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with not only the, the Gog Magog invasion, but also Europe. Europe plays an important role in Bible prophecy. Um, and we can get into it. You know, the what are the 10 toes of Daniel, the 10 kingdoms that are gonna be crushed in the last days? You know, when, when, what are those nations? And a lot of us believe it's gonna be out of the old Roman empire, which is Europe. Uh, Cause remember the legs of Daniel's Daniel chapter two statue, the legs were East and West Rome. And then out of the old Roman empire would come these feet, part iron, part clay with 10 toes. And those 10 toes would be 10 kingdoms and kings. Um, but it's interesting because Europe uh, could be, uh, and I don't say this dogmatically, but could be those 10 confederate, confederated nations. I know the EU has more nations than that, but the EU is always losing and gaining nations. So that could happen tomorrow to where there's uh, 10 toes or 10 leaders that, that sort of emerge out of the European Union. But Russia is playing a major role in the last days. And as you can see from the news today, Russia is casting Europe into a major crisis I, I don't know if you've been following this but um, there's there's people that are kind of freaking out in Europe right now uh, and we're sitting comfortably over here with we don't have you know um, you know baby formula and some other things but there's some real trouble going on in Europe um, and it, it's it's interesting because Russia just shut down of course the gas pipeline to Europe which means Europe's inflation is gonna reach even record, record numbers. Can you imagine paying $10,000 a month for your gas bill? Um, you, you don't think that can happen? Well, it is happening in parts of Europe. Can you imagine? Um, you, you don't believe me, Europe's on the verge of collapse, as some experts are saying. Uh, this might, who knows, will it go into collapse? I don't know. That's the next thing we're kind of keeping our eye on is Europe uh, is, is possibly on the verge of collapse. I saw this guy, um, which I thought was interesting. The other end of the UN is nigh. Um, so so the, the end of the EU, or European Union, and the euro is near. And that, that, that's what the sentiment is over there. Inflation in the European countries using the euro as currency hit another record just this August fueled by soaring energy prices, mainly driven by Russia's war in Ukraine. And it's interesting because here in the United States, we're using uh, the Russian war in Ukraine, I think to uh, maybe blame that for a lot of the things that are happening today, whether it's true or not is arguable. But in Europe, it really is affecting. The war in Ukraine is affecting all of Europe. The annual inflation in the Eurozone's 19 countries rose to 9.1%. Up from 8.9 in July to August, um, according to the latest figures. Um, but uh, that inflation is the highest level since record keeping for the euro began in 1997. You remember when the euro came into, into be uh, in, you know into place there in 1997? Um, there's an article, Express article, Eurozone collapse. Recession warning with biggest financial crisis in its history. Um, and this was on August 7th, uh, last month, speaking about the, the the Eurozone. It says the Eurozone will collapse if the European Central Bank makes a crucial mistake in tackling surging inflation with Europe possibly facing the biggest financial crisis of its history. An EU critic has warned. Um, by the way, Europe has some history there with uh, collapse. And there's, some people are saying they're headed for the worst collapse in their history. Uh, the Quartz article, uh, Germans are looking to firewood for energy as natural gas prices soar. Uh, if you think this is a joke, like this sounds almost prehistoric, you know, to hear, well, the Germans are out scrounging for anything that'll burn. That's what's happening. Uh, they literally are looking, you know, by the way, uh, this, this was an interesting tell. Um, this is a graph somebody got of the German people searching on Google for the term uh, Brenholz, which is the word for firewood or fuel for, you know, for fire. Um, And so uh, just since July, uh, everybody's searching for firewood. Why are they looking for ways to get firewood? Because they've run out of natural gas. Now, right now we're in the summer times and it's not really, you know, radical weather. But there, there's huge concern on what's gonna happen uh, for Europe during this winter and what are the Germans specifically gonna do? Um, you know, uh, skyrocketing rocketing prices for natural gas have Europeans scrambling for alternative en- energy sources. You know, can you imagine us here in Portland? Um, the good news is Oregon will never run out of trees. Uh, but in Germany, there's not a lot of forests like we have. Uh, you know, we, a lot of us Oregonians, at least some of us that are not the same tree hugging type, um, we'll go get loads of wood, I think. Uh, and there's lots of that, but, but not so in Europe, uh, in Germany where households face a 480 euro rise in their gas bills, uh, 480 euro a month rise in their gas bills. People are uh, resorting to stockpiling any kind of firewood they can find. The fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sunk Europe into the worst energy crisis in decades. From Italy to the UK, governments are racing to replace natural gas supplies from Russia and curtail the higher costs for industry and households, but consumers too are having a, a, to adapt from cutting back on showering to firing up the chim, chimney. Of course, they're in certain places around Europe, they're saying you can't you know, have your office building, cooling, uh, your, your temperature has to be 80 degrees. Maybe you saw that, in, was that in Spain? You know, they're, they're, just, they're in, a, in a crisis right now. Meanwhile, all these sanctions that everybody's put on Putin, it seems that they're not really working. The sanctions that all of these nations, including the United States, has put on Putin, seems to be, he's doing seemingly fine, and we're the ones suffering from our own sanctions. That's kind of an interesting dilemma. Uh, our sanctions seem very ineffective. In fact, I, I found this, this is kind of, you'll have to bear with me on this because this is Putin talking in Russian, but um, uh, you, maybe you'll be able to read it. If you can, I'll, I'll, I'll make it a little clearer. Check this out. Here's Putin. Я вообще не понимаю, чем вы будете топить. Газа не хотите, атомную энергетику не развиваете. А что вы будете дровами топить? Но дрова тоже в Сибирь надо иметь. He's, he's mocking the Germans, if you didn't catch that. Uh, he's talking about smug. <laughs> Putin's about a smug. If, if you look up the dictionary, smug, Putin's face is right there. Um, he's, you know, he's saying, well, I can't understand what fuel you will take for heating, talking to the Germans. Uh, you do not want gas. You do not develop nuclear power industry. Uh, so you 'll heat with firewood, but you 'll have to go to Siberia to, to buy the firewood there, and all the Russian diplomats are all oh, you know um, but uh, they 're laughing german the germans are not it 's not a laughing matter. Um, meanwhile, this is something that 's interesting because we have a massive en- energy crisis in the world globally. But Putin's got natural gas so much so? Well, check out this Business Insider article. Russia is burning $10 million uh, uh, a day of natural gas usually destined for Germany before Moscow chokes off the supply. So, um, you know, it's funny because uh, here's some video footage of the the Russians burning uh, the natural gas. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple places where they're doing this, but this is right over, the, I think, what is it? Over the border of Finland, I think, they're shooting this video. And this, they're $10 million of natural gas just, just being lit off because they... they, they uh, don't have any place to send it. Um, and, uh, and what's interesting is the Europeans, instead of saying, wow, we could use that gas, maybe we should rethink this, um, they're all talking about how the, you know Putin's ruining the environment, um, which is kind of interesting. Russia's burning off large amounts of the gas. The gas would have previously been exported via the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, experts said, but Russia has slashed its gas exports to Europe, stoking an energy crisis that uh, has seen benchmark prices soar. But um, if, if you don't really understand, the bottom line is this is making the global economy as shaky as it's been in a long time. The global economy, the whole world's economy is, is in really sketchy right now. And that's my next kind of observation and thing that we kind of want to think about is the world's economy. Um, uh, what, what has affected the world's economy? And, and what's interesting is economists. Uh, argue about what's really going on, and there's not a, a, a ton of agreement. Now, I'm not an economist. I remember taking um, economics in college, and I I just didn't like the uh, the graphs and bars and all that stuff. Um, but the, those that are experts on this, they're arguing about what's really going on. The, the coronavirus isn't going to be public enemy number one for the global economy in 2022. Um, the biggest dangers this year will probably stem <clears throat> from inflation. And the risk that policymakers all across the United States and Europe and other places, uh, if policymakers wrongly direct the post-COVID re- recovery, you know, because cause most agree that the COVID thing and the shutdowns and lockdowns really hurt the economy. And so that's kind of where it all started. But 2022, it's time to kind of say, well, that's that's in the past now. What's going on right now? And uh, this is gonna be the year, this, the last part of 2022, I should say, and into 2023, to find out whether the global economy is robust enough to get, to get by with uh, less help from governments and central banks um, and whether inflation is a temporary byproduct of COVID or a more persistent problem. The, the, the more conspiracy theory side of things uh, is that the economy's going the direction it is and people are doing this on purpose and it's for control. Uh, And that's an interesting question. Uh, Are there people that wanna see the economy tank? Um, Are there people that wanna see the the world's uh, uh, population more dependent on government to fix their problems? Well, that's one of the things you will see, whether it's conspiracy or not, if you follow the World Economic Forum and Davos and all that stuff that we talked about a few uh, prophecy updates ago, um, there, You remember when Klaus said something like, you know, you won't own anything and you'll be happy about it? Uh, well, we're getting there. People, people are losing, especially in Europe. Uh, from ground level, nothing about this economy looks normal. That's why economists are struggling, trying to get their finger on what's really going on and how do we fix the economic problems around the globe? Um, it's completely out of whack. Um, but if that's still true 12 months from now, uh, policymakers, Will, uh, are saying things are gonna go down really bad. If, if we don't figure this, what's going on out right now, uh, economists and experts are saying 12 months from now, we can, the global situation could be extremely dire. Um, and that's not you know Bible prophecy guys talking. These are some of the world's top economic experts. Um, so that raises an interesting question. Um, what will the economy be? Have you thought about this? What will the economy look like um, before Jesus comes back, well, this is where we know from the Revelation six through nineteen, the tribulation period. We know what's going to happen. Um, Revelation chapter uh, eighteen. Remember, we talk about uh, economic Babylon, and remember how the you know the, the Lord speaks of the economic fall of Babylon. Oh, Babylon, Babylon, how thou art fallen! You know, remember, in just a short time, economic Babylon's going to crash, um, and that's going to be right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, um, according to the Bible. Of course, the, the second coming comes in Revelation 19, but in Revelation 18 is where that global economic collapse is gonna happen. But it's it's an interesting global economy if you read the book of Revelation, because before that happens, the global economic system will uh, sort of for a short time be very controlling. So call it conspiracy theory or not, but. You know, the economy today around the world, is is it to try to control people? Well, we know where that's going. Do you think the mark of the beast is meant to control people? Because you'll neither be able to buy nor sell. In fact, uh, let's take a look at that. Revelation 13, uh, verse 16. He, uh, you know, this, um, this antichrist character, he uh, will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And we know the numbers, that number 666 as it goes on to talk about that. But this will be the economic system of the tribulation period. Um, Do you remember how um, we were starting to get a little nervous when we talked about vaccine passports and whether you can go into certain restaurants if you have the right passport and, and people are kind of like, man, this feels almost like you know communism or something. And people got, got up in a little bit of a tizzy, but fortunately that's all kind of going away for now. But to me, was that just a little small test of what control uh, government can have on people? Because the tribulation period says they're gonna absolutely control what you can buy or what you can sell. Um, So some would argue the global economy as we watch it and and we're trying to figure out what's going on and there's some people arguing there's a purposeful tanking of the global economy. Um, Well, that's something to keep an eye on because that would just set up the the antichrist, this coming world dictator, world leader. If the economy is in a real bad way, and this guy comes up with a global plan to save the world and, and, and in the name of peace and prosperity say, well, we're gonna do it this way. We're gonna start a whole new global system, which you have to, you have to admit, even if you're you know, a good Christian person, you admit that our global economic system is tired. Um, with with the currencies of the world, the you know, and, and you know, there's there's arguments about inequity, about what's the global currency, and people are all tired, and, and there's people that want their you know, the Chinese would love the yen to be the power, uh, you know, global uh, you know money system, or is it going to be you know Bitcoin or something like that? People people wonder what's what it's going to be in the future. Well, the Bible tells us it's going to be a single economic system by a one world government. And uh, all that's going to uh, happen, probably some event, some economic event, will cause economic trouble to make people say, "Yeah, whatever. We just need to fix the problem." Remember, remember when you were younger? Maybe if you were a Bible reader like me, how's the mark of the beast? How are people actually going to accept that? You know, how how is it that people will get a mark on their hand or on their forehead? Um, how could how is that even possible? Well. We would have also said 20 years ago, how would it be that people get a vaccine card where you had to go around before you could go into a restaurant and have lunch? Uh, you know, but people were hungry and they wanted to go to restaurants, so they got the cards and they went in and got the shots. And they just, you know, people generally uh, will just like sheep uh, do stuff for comfort, and I think that's what's going to happen in these in these uh, economic scenarios that the Bible talks about. So. Um, they will, you know, the, the system of the tribulation, they'll stringently regulate all international commerce. That's coming. The Bible says that's coming. And, and, and that's the question. When we watch the global economic situation today, we're asking the question, is this the precursor? to that switching of the global uh, way that this crisis that we're seeing now, is it the precursor to what's gonna be ultimately used in the last days in the tribulation period? Um, what could possibly induce citizens in civilized nations to accept such intrusive controls over their right to buy and sell? Um, I think we're already seeing that today. And, and a lot of times it's driven by fear. We saw that with coronavirus. We, saw, we see that, by the way, with global warming and climate change, Uh, this huge fear that people have. If you talk to the younger generation, they're just, oh, the world's going down. I saw inconvenient truth and uh, Al Gore. Well, isn't it funny? You know, my kids were at that age when they showed that at, at the high school and you know, they guilted all the high schoolers into feeling like, oh, we're destroying the planet and the polar bears. And, uh, the, uh, you, know, and you know, he made the claim that, you know, there's a 75% chance that the polar ice caps will melt by, you know, uh, what, what did he say? It's like five years, he said. It was a short time. Um, and they said that way back, I think in, what was it was in 2006. All I know is like, it's supposed to melt by 2013. And I remember when the meme came on and there's this guy sitting up on the North Pole and he's freezing saying, it's still cold up here, you know. Um, shouldn't we have kind of thrown Al Gore out and said, eh, he didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, he, he really didn't. Um, by the way, if you're an older person here in this room, um, uh, uh, like me, uh, maybe you remember all the crises that come, of gone, come and gone. Do you remember in 1960s, uh, oil will be gone out of the earth in 10 years. Do you guys remember that one? There'll be no more oil on the planet. We need millions and millions of dollars to fix it. Um, in the 1970s, do you remember? It wasn't global warming, it was an ice age is coming. Remember that? Uh, there's gonna be an ice age in 10 years and we need millions and millions of dollars to fix it. Um, I wonder what they're, what they're trying to do here. Um, in the 1980s, do you guys remember this? Remember acid rain? Ooh, that sounded so scary. Acid rain. <laughs> you just picture walking out in the rain here in Portland and your hair falling off because you're in acid rain. Um, it was destroy the crops in 10 years. We need, they said at that time, billions and billions to fix it. Uh, in the 1990s, it was all about the ozone layer. The ozone layer will be destroyed in 10 years and we need billions and billions of dollars to fix it. In the 2000s, remember it was the glaciers, will all melt in 10 years, and we need billions and billions of dollars to fix it. Um, In the 2010s, the coast, all the coast of America would be underwater in 10 years. Uh, This was Inconvenient Truth, Al Gore. Uh, Meanwhile, all those same guys were buying beachfront property. Uh, I don't think they believed, you know. It's funny, all these guys own like beachfront property. They don't believe what they're saying. Um, it's, it, there's reasons they're saying this. And, and by the 2010, saying that the coasts, all the coasts will be, and they sh- Al Gore and the Inconvenient showed these scary videos with ominous music of Florida just being consumed by the water. And then New York and Manhattan and then San Francisco. And it was, it was like, this is what's gonna happen in 10 years. And we need trillions and trillions of dollars to fix it. Um, they said in 2000, in, in, two, in the 2020s, it's climate change will kill us all in 10 years and we need trillions and trillions. How much did the Green New Deal cost when they were doing that, I forget. But it's more than money than we have, let's just say that. Um, you see, the point that I'm making is that, um, you know, um, this whole climate change stuff is is um, just this whole way to, to make people freak out so that they, they're controllable, so you can make them do. Well, Brad, they'll never make me do what they want me to do. Well, look what's happening in France. Did you see this Breitbart article? Great reset, French government to recruit 3,000 green police over climate change. These green police are armed to the teeth, by the way. And and, um, uh, Gerald uh, Darmanin, who serves as France's minister of the interior, has announced that he aims to create 3,000 posts for new green police officials, a move that he has deemed necessary to face that tackle the problems of climate change. Um, um, You know, it's interesting because... um, how people will just kind of say, well, it must be true in science. Everybody's saying it's all about the science. One thing I have to say, you know, we should be, uh, I think, happy when true scientists try to stand up and say, yeah, this climate change thing is is tweaked. Um, there's a, uh, I forget his name. There was a scientist that came out last week Um, who said, yeah, this is all really wrong. Um, And you know, they're gonna just demonize him like they do all the others saying he's a quack and he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's funny because Nobel award-winning scientists have been put down as stupid once they go against this whole notion of climate change. Um, It's like we don't really care about any of these issues. It's just about really control. That's the truth of the matter. Um, Speaking of that, kind of off the thing, but we're still on the world economy and, and how we're, we're being controlled by things like climate change, money and stuff like that. Have you noticed how um, some of these companies don't care about making money, it seems, anymore? Um, like, you know, in some ways you think, oh, that's a good thing. You know, if, if 30 years ago there were companies like Target say, that said, you know, we, we have such integrity, we're not gonna be greedy, we're gonna stand for what we believe in, um, and we're not gonna, we don't care about making money. you say, oh, that's really good. The problem is their ideologies that they're standing for are not good. Um, listen to this. This is this is shocking. If you're a business person here, this is not a great business model. Target uh, revealed that its second quarter profits this year have fallen nearly ninety percent. As and this is and the reason I I put the CNN one here for, for on purpose, um, because they give us the reason why. Do You want to know why Target's profit plunged ninety percent this this quarter. Um, and it says, because weary infl- inflation, weary shoppers pull back. It's all because of the inflation problem. That's if you ask CNN guys, it's because of the inflation. Um, by the way, this article says, targets quarterly net income fell to 183 million, down significantly from 1.8 billion. Like think about how, that's a massive, massive loss uh, of income during the same ter- uh, time period last year. But if you want to know the real reason why Target, in, is, as I see it, uh, is down, is this? Um, this article uh, from 100% Fed Up article: Target pushes transgender lifestyle on youth. Retailer sees 90% decline in profits. And um, if you haven't been following Target, um, Target's uh, you know beating themselves to death trying to to be. not just pro-LGBTQ, but taking it to grotesque, perverted levels. Uh, Woke retailer Target has recently suffered a significant decline in profits. This article says that it pushes to normalize the transgender lifestyle. On Wednesday, Target revealed that its second quarter profits for this year have fallen nearly 90% uh, uh, 90%, um, after being forced to slash the prices of unwanted merchandise. Um, Since introducing its transgender agenda in 2016, Target has been angering many many of its previous customers and losing business. Um, They began their WOKE initiative with a policy that allowed transgender identifying males to use women's dressing rooms and bathrooms. This year, just before Pride Month, Target began uh, selling clothing specifically meant to help people transition, such as compression tops, uh, which flatten a female's breasts, which by the way, um, medical doctors say this is really horrible for a person, f- just, just health-wise. Uh, but Target's saying, yeah, we're gonna do it and we're gonna sell them. And uh, packing underwear, which are sp- uh, specifically ad- advertised to trans youth. The store is also selling a large line of pride clothing to promote the LGBTQ uh, agenda. Um, so here they are, uh, should we be surprised, and, and I'm, I'm glad to hear this. You know, um, I, I'm not one who's been, you know, fully on board with saying we're gonna boycott all these companies and stuff because um, we wouldn't be able to shop anywhere uh, these days. Like there's so many uh, wacko businesses out there. Uh, you couldn't buy your car from the place you got it from. You can't wear those tennis shoes you're wearing right now. Like if you really are hardcore, but I have to admit Target took it so far, I, I have to say, I'm glad to see that uh, the the shoppers are uh, sort of telling them what they think with their money going elsewhere. And I I have to say, I'm happy about that. Meanwhile, how's Chick-fil-A doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Chick-fil-A, you know, um, do you remember when Chick-fil-A took heat years ago? Um, because the uh, you know the the president or C- CEO or CEO I think it was the CEO of uh, Chick Fil A was asked what do you think about you know gay marriage and his only his answer was nothing you know hateful or anything. He just, I personally believe that marriage is between a man and a woman that's all he said and the homosexual uh, LGBTQIA community went nuts. And they screamed and freaked out and picketed and, and said, we're gonna, we're gonna boycott Chick-fil-A. And they, they even had a specific day that they said, we're gonna all boycott Chick-fil-A. Do you remember what happened that day? The day they boycotted Chick-fil-A was their biggest sales day in the history of Chick-fil-A. Uh, yeah. That's kind of cool, you gotta love that. I love people with a sense of humor. Um, you know. Uh, The Daily Mail article, this is back when this whole thing with the homosexual thing and Chick-fil-A and gay marriage was going on. Uh, Daily Mail article, NFL star Justin Durant says he wouldn't boycott Chick-fil-A even if they supported slavery because the chicken's too tasty. (laughs) Um, I love that. you gotta love a guy with a sense of humor because that, that's pretty funny. Not just anybody could say that, but he sort of gets away with it. Uh, but by the way, he took massive heat for saying this, even though he was just joking and talking about how much he likes the chicken. Um, Starbucks, among other companies, you know, they're one of the worst. You know, uh, they'll pay, they're, one of their big woke you know, agendas right now is to pay travel costs for employees uh, to have an abortion if they live in a state that re- restricts the procedure. Um, you know. Uh, Disney, of all the people that should just say, we're kind of into making money. Don't, like, don't you think the Disney people could, you know, maybe they, it's because they want to have children have a good time, or maybe it's because they want to make money. I didn't care as a kid, I liked Disneyland because it was fun. But apparently even the Disney people don't care about making money. Disney uh, says it's outraged right now uh, that, that uh, kindergartners can't be taught uh, gender ide- ideology in Florida public schools. And you know, the, the battle between DeSantis and Disney. But as it turns out, I, I put this castle on fire because um, the share of Americans with favorable impression of Disney has collapsed. From 77%, and this is just last year. Last year, 77% of Americans were like, yeah, we love Disney, it's all great. Um, now it's down to just 33%, which is quite a loss of likability. Christopher Ruffo, senior felon of Manhattan Institute and contributing editor of City Journal, reports this uh, whole thing about how Disney's going down the tubes as far as people's approval rating. It, you know, it used to be the happiest place on earth. Now it's a perverted place on earth, and, and people are sensing that. Um, So interesting times we're living. Um, um, Also, I think Joseph Biden may have given a speech in front of this um, last (laughs) night. No, no, maybe it wasn't that, sorry. Um, uh, Let's move on. Uh, Things that we're watching uh, around the globe. Uh, One thing you've got to talk about, um, uh, oh, here's some of the Disney stuff that you've you've actually seen. We've seen a lot of this, and it's, it's just a big battle right now. Disney's losing all its fun. Uh, one of the things we got to do is always keep our eye on Israel specifically, the epicenter of Bible prophecy, Jerusalem, Israel, um, but also the Middle East, because so much of Bible prophecy deals with that region of the world. And I would uh, be remiss to not uh, fill you in on some of the things that, um, with all the other problems in the world, I've noticed that a lot of important things sneak by and people aren't watching. Of all the things you got to keep watching is Israel, Iran, um, the the the. Ezekiel 38 nations, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and all the other surrounding um, nations. We gotta keep our eye on that because that might just be the best indicator for us, more than all this other stuff I even talked about. uh, One of the best indicators of when is the Lord's return and when is the rapture of the church? Are we living in the last days? Probably one of the best indicators is just this, keep your eye watching Israel, uh, God's people uh, in the Middle East. Um, Interesting. One of the things we have to understand is what's going on is Iran right now is the player of the Gog Magog team, which includes Russia, Iran, Turkey, and others. And we've done whole teachings on that. I'm not gonna go into all that over again, but that's a battle that's gonna happen either right before or right after the rapture of the church. And great uh, eschatology buffs and Bible teachers uh, kind of believe different things on that. When's the Gog Magog invasion gonna happen? I'm not sure it's as important to know that it's gonna be right around the rapture of the church, either right before or right after. Um, but man, the players continue to, you know, to get in place and things are heating up. Uh, uh, Russia is starting to say threatening things to Israel. We should know that. Uh, Putin is in, a, in trouble right now with his Ukraine war, uh, to a degree. Um, but at the same time, uh, Syria and the various nations are all uh, the, the dynamic's changing. Right now, Iran is gaining more and more control. Um, you know, wh- while we're all talking about the Paris Accords and the nuclear deal with Iran and everybody's kind of you know, talking about that. Um, and I even saw this one commentator asking, why does Iran just seem to sort of delay uh, these? They said, oh, we're into talking to the United States about the nuclear deal, but we're in no hurry. That's what Iran said. Why are they in no hurry? Cause they're getting away with murder right now. As long as we don't have some deal where we're, you know, the nuclear agencies are watching Iran, Iran's, you know, getting nuclear weapons de- designed as we speak. Uh, uh, Israel claims they actually have them or or have enough uranium to make nuclear weapons, um, but Iraq and Syria are falling more and more into the hands of Iran. Um, let me go over a few things that have happened, even uh, you know, just a couple of days ago. The uh, Al Jazeera article: major destruction after. Uh, Israel targets mil- missile facility in Syria. Uh, uh, this is just August 28th. Um, satellite imagery shows massive destruction at a giant military facility in Western Syria that was targeted by a recent uh, Israeli air attack. Now you say big deal, whatever that's been happening. But do you remember Russia said Israel stop doing that. Uh, the, the Russians who are also in Syria, a little bit sidetracked with Ukraine, But there's still Russian army uh, in in Syria and the Russians, Putin has has told Israel, stop bombing Syria. Meanwhile, the Israelis keep attacking. Why? The Iranians are stockpiling weapons and trying to get weapons that really could be harmful on the northern border of Israel. Um, When the Gog Magog invasion happens, where's it gonna come from? From the north and it's gonna come over the northern border of Israel. That's exactly where Syria, where Damascus is, where there's Russians, Iranians, Jordanians, they're all right, uh, um, um, Turkey, Uh, they're all right there at the northern border of Israel. They're just poised and postured to do exactly what Ezekiel 38 says. But what's interesting is to see Iran's influence of that region getting bigger and bigger. The bombing blew up a depot housing hundreds of medium range missiles for Iran-backed fighters in the country last week, according to the head of a Syrian opposition war monitor. Um, meanwhile, Iran's doing all kinds of shenaniganry in the, uh, you know, the Persian Gulf and other places. Did you see this um, article, the independent article? U.S. Navy uh, says Iran seized and released an American sea drone. This was just a few days ago. Did you guys hear about this? Now the Sea Drone, um, by the way, uh, super high tech, uh, it's a drone that's in the water, uh, like a little mini submarine boat kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's spy st- type stuff. Um, what, what do you think made the Iranians um, let it go? It's, uh, the article says Iran seized it and then they released it. It's like catch and release, it looks like some of you fishermen, right? Well, that's not exactly what happened. Um, U.S. officials said Iran's uh, paramilitary revolutionary guard attempted to tow away an American sea drone in the Persian Gulf, but released it when approached by a U.S. Navy warship in a helicopter. They said, oh, oh, our bad. They disconnected it and kind (laughs) of floated off. Um, (laughs) It was the first time that the drone task force was targeted by the country amid high tensions as negotiations to resurrect the 2015 nuclear deals continue. This incident once again demonstrates Iran's continued you know, destabilizing uh, illegal, unprofessional activity in the Middle East and in the Persian Gulf. Um, and the US generals are saying, uh, we've got to do something about this. We can't just let them do these things. Uh, Al Jazeera, another Al Jazeera article, um, uh, where does Iran stand on neighboring Iraq's political turmoil? Have you been staying up with this? Um, You know, we we have some interests. Some of you fought in Iraq. Some of you, you know, uh, shed blood in Iraq. And what has all that done? This is where it gets troubling when you look at Afghanistan and now even, you know, Iraq. Because if you haven't been following, um, there's great unrest in Iraq right now. And I'm not gonna get into all the details of the Sunnis and the Shiites and the various, because uh, it's, it's kind of complex, who's in charge of what. But the bottom line is uh, just the last couple days uh, in Te- uh, Tehran, uh, Iran, uh, they've been seeing what's going on in, I- in Iraq. Iran has a stake in the stability of its neighbor, Iraq, which has just experienced two days, this is the last couple of days of deadly violence after months of political turmoil. Iraqi Foreign Minister Faouz Hussein uh, landed in Tehran for high-level meetings early on Monday. Shortly after, uh, before, powerful religious leader uh, Muqtada al-Sadr uh, claimed he was withdrawing from politics. Now, Sadr is the elected official in Iraq who was, you know, the purple thumb. You know, vote they all voted him in. Um, the problem with him is he never was able to really form a government. And so it was kind of questionable, who's gonna be in charge? And the Iranians want some people in charge and the, some of the Iraqis want people in charge. But the guy that was sort of representing the Iraqi side, uh, he just kind of resigned and said, sorry, I'm out. And his father said, well, what are we gonna do? Yeah, resign. Like he just said, forget it. And, and you and I might say, well, who cares? That, that, that region is uh, whacked anyway. And people, uh, their leadership has been bad from the very beginning. Well, here's the thing that's interesting. When Al-Sadr uh, claimed he was withdrawing from politics, um, leading his supporters to, they ended up storming government headquarters in Baghdad. That's some of the stuff you're seeing here in this loop. Uh, but ever since Al-Sadr won the majority, unable to form a government, um, basically after that happened, so what happened? The the bottom line is the Iranians and their proxies and people in Iran now have no real uh, uh, pushback. Uh, they're, they're actually, some would say, in fact, I've heard people say that Iraq has now fallen into the hands of Iran. That's what people are saying. The Iranians control Iraq, which if you know your, your, uh, your history, you know that's actually kind of a, um, a big deal. Remember the Iran-Iraq war back in the eighties and we saw all the bloodshed and death back then. Um, and it's almost like you take out everything else, desert storm and all these years of the United States being there, take all that out. It's almost like that war ends and Iran now controls Iraq. It's, it's really kind of shocking. Now you say, well, Brett, why does that have any importance? Well, this is where you gotta kinda see what's going on just on the map, and I brought my trusty map with me. Of course, the green little dagger is Israel there, as the Arabs like to call it. It's the dagger that splits the Muslim world. That's the way they view Israel on the green there on the map. But what you gotta understand is the proxies of Iran are getting more and more uh, emboldened and powerful. Proxies meaning all these nations and groups, people groups within the nations that are Iranian funded, Iranian controlled, Iranian supported. And, and the world, you know, those that know about what's going on here, the world's getting a little nervous. The political world is saying, man, we gotta really watch out what's going on with Iran. What do you mean? Well, you should know. Um, so um, Iran on this map here, uh, we'll put that there in red, um, you realize how you know uh, that—that's a huge presence. Iran is a huge presence in the Middle East, just geographically, um, and its capital, Tehran. But uh, you have to understand, Iran really controls Yemen, uh, and the the Yemen uh, Yemenis—the group that's down there—is the Houthis. Uh, or the um, uh, Ansar Allah, as they're called down there in Yemen. And they're, they're controlled by Iranians. So the Iranians have Yemen. Uh, they also have Bahrain, uh, which is important, even though it looks tiny on this map, this little place called Bahrain. The reason that's important is you have the Al-Astar uh, Brigades and the Saraya uh, Al-Muqtar uh, Brigades, these different groups that are pro-Iranian controlled proxies of Iran. Um, uh, so you got Bahrain. But what you have to also understand, whilst Russia has been in Syria, largely controlling Syria, while Russia's tied up in Ukraine, the Iranians arguably are the ones controlling Syria right now. There's a whole group of people saying that Iran's taking advantage of the Russians' distraction. And it's funny, Iranians are providing the Russians with weapons uh, right now for the uh, Ukraine-Russian conflict. Um, But meanwhile, Iran basically has Syria in their pocket. And um, there in Syria, they've got lots of proxies and soldiers and weapons. That's why the Israelis are bombing the daylights out of Syria, because the Israelis can't afford to let the Iranians become entrenched and empowered there in the Northern border of Israel. Um, Israel's not gonna let that happen. That's why they're just gonna continue to bomb whether Russia says they can or not, which could trigger, keep in mind, it could trigger the Gog Magog, where Russia, Iran, Turkey comes and invades Israel. Uh, Israel only has one shot. If, if a couple big bombs hit Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, Israel ceases to exist as a nation. Like a lot of Americans, we just don't have the, the uh, understanding of how tiny. Israel's smaller than the state of New Jersey. And these massive countries would love nothing more than to see Israel driven into the sea. That's what they always say. That's what Iran always says. Um, Now, uh, also, you see another little spot north of Israel is is Lebanon, and we'll put that in there. Lebanon, of course, the famous group that's in Lebanon is the Hezbollah, and they've been up there for years. They've ruined Lebanon. Lebanon used to be one of the most beautiful countries in that region of the world. It was called... um, Uh, French Riviera of the Middle East, Lebanon was. Now it's a total dump, sad to say. And it's because the Hezbollah have blown the daylights out of it. Um, And it's really a sad story. The Lebanese are victims to these um, Muslims that have ruined the country, Lebanon, Hezbollah. Um, All supported, financially trained, uh, uh, taught by the Iranians, the Hezbollah. Um, And then, what, what, and here's where the, 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 the geopolitical scene has changed just this last week. You can arguably say now Iran has, in fact, Iraq. Um, and look at the groups that Iran, the proxies that Iran has in Iraq. You've got the Khatib, Hezbollah, Asib al Haq. Hank, don't don't get me on these pronunciations. Harakat, Hezbollah <laughs> al Nujaba, Badar organization, Kataki Sayyad, al Shuhada da Gazuntite. All that to say, um, you got this. These I, you have to understand. Iran. If you the reason I wanted you to see this map uh, is Iran is sort of. Uh, gaining power in the whole Middle Eastern theater. And um, there's, there's actually a thing that I want you to be aware of, and that is the crescent. Iran wants to see the fertile crescent back in uh, you know, fundamentalist Muslim hands. And even the shape that we're starting to see here with the controlled Iranian proxies is exactly what Iran wants. Israel is the tip of the crescent or the moon. Uh, that needs to be in Iran control. That's what they want. And so there's just one more little area, the West Bank of Israel and the Gaza Strip. And there's tiny little dots there in Israel. Um, There's also the proxies, the Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. The reason I want you to see this is, uh, Iran has all kinds of proxies that are their controlled minions uh, doing their work. And their number one goal is to destroy Israel. Uh, That's really all they wanna do more than anything else. Um, so just, just be aware, things are heating up. While we're wondering about you know, baby formula and Disney and LGBTQ, um, that region of the world is heating up and the Iranians are getting more and more powerful. Um, they've got their problems too, but they are getting what they want. Uh, that's something to think about. Now, you say, well, Brett, good news. The United States were allies with Israel. So Israel has nothing to worry about. Um, well, uh, let's, let's, we're getting closer to the end here, but um, well, let's talk about the divided states of America. Uh, Bloomberg article, um, uh, 43% of Americans, this is a conservative estimation. I, I found tons of articles on this. Civil war, the likelihood, this was probably the most conservative one that I, I saw. Uh, 43% of Americans say a civil war is at least somewhat likely to happen in the next 10 years. More than two in five Americans say that civil war is at least somewhat likely, um, highlighting the deepening political divisions in the country heading into the midterms. A recent poll by YouGov uh, and The Economist found that 43% believe civil war was either very or somewhat likely to happen. People who identified as strong Republicans were the most likely to anticipate a conflict. One in three of total respondents said that it's not very likely or not likely at all and 22% said they're not sure. So our nation is extremely divided. And, um, and so what are we gonna do? Well, um, nothing screams unity like the backdrop uh, of last night's speech. Uh, <laughs> uh, the world has kind of gone nuts today because this backdrop of, and this speech last night of our president was over the top. Even CNN anchor's like, wow. Did you see CNN was caught? trying to doctor the the real video of this speech because it looked so much like nazi villain star wars you know em- emperor uh, like there was so much, you know, sound of music. We remember the Von Trapps are singing and the soldiers are in the background and they're getting ready to take them. Like, like there's so many things. Uh, in, in fact, there's memes all over the country today. This only happened last night. Um, but but it, it's really, you know, our, our, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, it's, it, it's funny if it wasn't so real. <clears throat> our president, like, like, you know, somebody thought, who, who thought this was a good idea? You know, who thought it'd be a good idea thinking this dystopian aesthetic was a good idea to have behind the president giving his speech? Um, And then, uh, let alone the the setting, we we don't even begin to talk about the content uh, of his speech. Um, It was kind of horrifying. And if anything, it's promoting, if if anything, it seems to me to be promoting civil war. When you start calling people fascists, especially if you're the president of the United States, um, you know what we used to do to fascists? We killed them. We did that to Germans, uh, the fascists of Germany. We killed them, and it's a good thing we did. But now our country's in this place where our president is calling half of this country oh, just semi-fascists. Uh, but I have to say, whether you love him or hate him, whatever political party you're on, you should be concerned. If you're a Democrat, Republican, uh, you know, whatever you are, th- those words should cause great concern. Um, you know, the Jerusalem Post, uh, one of the authors there, one of the better writers for Jerusalem po- Post, wrote this article just a few days back. Um, is God punishing the United States of America?" This is a Jew in Jerusalem. I'm wondering about, you know this. In fact, he, he writes this: uh, uh, Sherwin uh, Pomerantz said, "I am certainly not one to dare to assume to know what God is uh, thinking or what's on his mind." and I consider it a bit arrogant to go down that path. Nevertheless, at the risk of being labeled an old fool, is, it, it is a challenge for me to believe that the series of plagues that have befallen the United States of America of late are not part of some heavenly master plan. Do you remember my prophecy updates um, oh, a little over nine months ago? And how I I, I mentioned, um, and I'm not trying to toot my horn. here, I'm just saying because I and I'm not a predictor. I'm not a prophecy predictor of f- future things. But I did say, watch what happens in the United States in this coming season. It wasn't it wasn't some foretelling of the future. It was just math. And what I was talking about is the previous administration was one of the friendliest presidents Israel's ever had, and this current administration, administration along with the Obama administration, Israelis hated those administrations and they, and they hate those because they're anti-Israel. They, they sort of have this veneer, very, very thin veneer of, yeah, we support our brothers over in Israel, but in, in truth, they do not support Israel and they're hostile toward the Israelis. And one of the things I said, you just watch, we, you know, here we were you know, uh, a year ago, deliriously happy, even in the midst of a coronavirus thing, our economy was booming, there was so many things that were going well, and now look at what's going on in America. And you end up with with um, a speech like last night and our nation divided and crime on the streets and people being murdered exponentially in our cities. And man, I could go on at all the things, but there's, the rest of the world is looking like this guy, looking from the outside and going, what's going on in America? Is God punishing America? Um, and he goes on in his ar- ar- article talking about how America, uh, as much as people hated the ugly American, he said, um, we were still the nation after World War II that nurtured the world back into good health. We helped fallen, beat up nations restore. Um, even though people hated Americans, we were the police of the, na- of the world, of the nations. And, and he made the argument that we were really good, but he's, his, his thing is now that America seems to be cursed, where's the rest of the world gonna be? And it's kind of a dire, sort of scary ar- argument. But sadly, the weakening of the United States um, as we've talked about before, has to happen for the biblical end time scenario to come to pass. Um, I hate to say that as a patriot of this country, someone who loves the United States, I'd love to see us uh, have a revival. Maybe we will, maybe, maybe the Lord's not gonna return. I, 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 I don't, you know, it's soon. Maybe it's 50 years from now. Maybe we're gonna see another birth pain where we're in a big birthday, major Braxton Hicks right now. And maybe there's a revival. <laughs> Uh, and, we, and we see things get kind of smooth there for a while. I don't know. And see, you and I will never know for sure, right? So we're supposed to live as Christians like it could happen today and expect it to even happen today with an expectation. But if it doesn't, that's where I pray for revival for this country. And that's what we need to stick with and, and never give up on that. Because who knows? There's been other Christian generations that had the same beliefs we do about the rapture of the church, but they were a hundred years ago. People thought World War I was Armageddon and I can see why. Uh, It was a world war that was, uh, if you study the history of it, it was very Armageddon-esque. So they thought it was the end then and, and understandably so, but they were wrong. Could we be wrong? Possible, but I think it's very likely that this is the end. If not, we need to be caring, praying for this nation. But for the Revelation chapter six or 19 to happen, um, the United States can't exist as it, as it is today. Why? Um, well, first of all, you have to have a one world government. The United States would have to give up its sovereignty. That's something that's not characteristic of the United States, uh, especially... Second Amendment loving America. There's a lot of people that would say, no, we will die before we let the sovereignty of this nation be turned over to the World Economic Forum or the United Nothing or whatever uh, other agency, uh, you know. So, So America can't really exist as it is today for the one world government, one world economic system and a one world leader that's coming. The Bible says that's what's gonna happen. And right now, the greatest obstacle to those three things happening is the United States of America, because we are still, whether we are hanging by a thread or not, we're still a democracy, theoretically, and we're still, um, you know, uh, don't tread on me, uh, and we still stand up for our country. But that's very fragile right now, which is interesting as it relates to Bible prophecy. So traditionally, Americans have not been willing to give up sovereignty until now, by the way, we've been giving that over to World Health Organization, uh, the CDC, the United Nothing, all those different agencies. But um, now the things that I want you to do with all this information, as we often remind you, is first of all, number one, don't be troubled. Don't, don't be troubled by all these things. You say, bro, that's depressing. United States going down, the economy's crashing, uh, Target is going down, all well, that. <laughs> That's actually good. Um, but um, but um, Matthew 24, Jesus said, "'See that you be not troubled, "'for all these things must come to pass.'" But the end is not yet. So we're seeing the signs of the times. We're not to be troubled, but what should we be doing? Don't be troubled, but we are to. And we, this is a review of the verse we started with. We are to watch therefore and pray, always. You and I should be watching and praying. Don't forget the pray part. A lot of prophecy buffs, we love the watch part. Uh, but we forget the pray part, uh, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. So we should be people of prayer, praying for our leaders, those who have authority over it. We should be pr- praying for Joseph Biden. The Bible says we're to pray for those who have authority over us and our leaders of our country. Pray for them, we need to pray for them. Uh, and then thirdly, and obviously, and most important perhaps, is in these days we're living, point people to Jesus. Don't forget, Jesus didn't say, go into all the world harping on Bible prophecy. Uh, He didn't say go into all the world, talk about the tribulation. He said, go into all the world, teach nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. That's the great commission. We're called to go into all the world, teaching and preaching, baptizing, Uh, This is what we should be about. So, you know, whether it's here at Athey, that's what we need to be about, or you personally in your neighborhood, your workplaces. um, In these days, the last day scenarios that we talk about should be fuel for you to be able to say, man, we need to be all about sharing the good news and the gospel with as many people as we can. If you're not a Christian, by the way, what's the gospel? Um, You know, by the way, if I were not a Christian, I'd be looking at the world just going, man, we're toast. Uh, Things are bad. Um, But as a Christian, your whole perspective changes because you realize these are things that the Lord said would happen before he comes and fixes the whole thing. He's going to come and fix it. The Bible says that. It's called his second coming, the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're told to pray that way. So if you're not a Christian, I can see why you'd be kind of bummed and it would be troubling but better to accept Christ and be a believer. See, a Christian is someone who knows that they're sinners and know that they deserve death and hell for all eternity. And they said, so knowing their trouble, knowing that there's no way to get out of that, except through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. So Jesus is the way out of your doomed future. And, and you say, well, do I have to give money to the church? Do I have to be a perfect person? Well, I sure hope not, because none of us are perfect. And it's not about giving money to churches or anything like that. I know there's been a convoluted message out there about what a Christian is, but a Christian is a person who repents. That means they change their mind about sin and they say, I accept and believe Jesus, that he died on the cross and that he rose up from the grave and that I can be saved by accepting the work of the cross. If you do that, Romans 10 verse nine and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, um, the Bible says you will be saved. So, Like 1 Thessalonians chapter four and five, it says, wherefore we get to comfort one another with all these words about the end times. There's a comfort that comes knowing that we are not appointed to the wrath of God being poured out on Christ rejecting sinful nation. We're not that, we are his children. We, We are taken up out of here before all that happens. So this is a good time for you to accept Christ if you ask me. Uh, I wouldn't dilly-dally. I would do it today. If you need help with that, by the way, we'd love to help you. You can call us. If you're watching online, you can call us online and talk to us. Uh, we'd love to pray with you and get you hooked up with a Bible. If you don't have one, uh, let us know if we can help you. Those of you that are out there online or, or anybody that's in the room here, we can help you out and pray with you on that. Um, And then also, don't forget, if you're watching online or watching this later, don't forget to click the thumbs up at at the bottom and I'll tell you why. Because I get really happy when I see people approving uh, what I say. No, that's not what it, no. That's actually not it. The thumbs up, when you do that, it actually gets it out there to more people. It actually, the algorithms of YouTube and what have you, uh, it it makes more people hear the the message, which I'm into that. I, I want as many people to hear, especially that last part, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to get that out there as much as we possibly can. So give it a thumbs up and hopefully more and more people will hear and be saved in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, how thankful we are that we get to uh, look to your word and we just thank you for the solidity of your word, the anchor of your word that we get to have in these troubled times, Lord. And I pray that, that, uh, that everybody that's listened to this long, tedious <laughs> discussion, Lord, I pray that there would just be a sense of calm and peace that passes understanding, knowing that you're in control, knowing, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for all these things that are happening around the world. So Lord, we commit ourselves. We commit our lives to you. We pray your blessing. Uh, May our light so shine before all men, Lord, as we go our way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.